Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded on the side of a river in the northwest. We're in Montana. We're not going to say where we're fishing today or what flies we're using, but Hmm. we can say that it's beautiful, and the water's aquamarine, and the Canada geese are chatting in the background, and it's a beautiful day. And I'm sitting here with friends, and one in particular I've been looking forward to interviewing for at least eight years when I first traveled down to Baja with him and thought, one day I want to interview him. And his name is Steve McCoy. He grew up in Highland Park, which is a part of... Detroit, Michigan, and he came to Montana in 1976, and what brought him to Montana was fly fishing. Steve is passionate about encouraging and following the restoration of buffalo on the American prairie and the restoration of the prairie itself. He does a lot of work with the American Prairie Reserve, and he calls Lewiston home. He's a hunter and a fisherman, and his passions include exploring every back road in Montana getting to know Montana intimately because it's a long affair that he and his wife have had to get to know all the back roads of Montana. So first of all, I just want to say thank you so much, Steve, for sitting with me in the shade today. Hmm. We're sitting in the shade of an ambulance that's been converted into a home that goes back and forth between Arizona and Baja and we're sitting next to your friend Gary Steele, Mm -hmm. who you've known for a long time. So I just wanted to first say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Where did you grow up, and how was adventure a part of your childhood? As Mandela mentioned, I, I was born in Highland Park, Michigan, which sounds very suburban-y and very nice, but actually it's a city within the city of Detroit, known for being a very rough part of town. Saving grace for myself, when I was a child, I lived there until I was seven with my grandfather in my grandfather's home, and... On Sundays, uh, during the nicer weather, he made it a thing where we'd walk down to a park, Palmer Park, and a very wooded, very beautiful area, ponds in the middle of this urban blight. And he would always caution me not to run away, stay close because of the bears. Of course, there were none, but I thought there were. And it worked. I stayed close, but I fantasized about the bears in Highland Park. I was always excited to go there because I might see a bear. But uh, not beyond that, not much to say about the non-urban environs of Highland Park. But when I was seven, we moved to L.A., California, and stayed there for three years living in Gardena, which is not a very wild place. So I was really into cities. Um, we left California, went back to Detroit area, went to school, back, back into school in Detroit. And in about the eighth grade, my father announced that we were going to move to a small town north of Detroit. 
And, oh, my God, I couldn't handle it. Please don't. We can't do that. I, well, we're going to have to shop at a trading post. Um, I, I just was freaked out. So, but we, we did it anyway. Best thing, one of the best things that ever happened to me. There I met friends who introduced me to shooting 22s. I couldn't believe that they would actually let us do that. And then fishing. And that became my, I liked the guns, I liked the shooting, but fishing was my passion. I could just walk out of town and go all these lakes and ponds and fish. And that followed me through my formative years. You know, but I, I gravitated towards, had to get real, get a job, get married, be an adult. In my early 20s, when that whole scene fell apart, I had to think of, wait a minute, something's wrong here. I used to be happier, and why was I happier than I am now? And, uh, oh, yeah, I used to like to go hunting and fishing. So I started exploring that again in Michigan and went everywhere I could think of to go and find that place that would fulfill those dreams. Michigan, I love the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It's a beautiful area, but it just it wasn't enough. So I looked at a map, and because of my fly fishing, I was like, where's that supposed to be really good? And I, Montana. And so I ended up in Montana following that dream with a, a van and a few hundred dollars in my pocket. And I've been here since 76. When I first got to Montana, I was awestruck. I didn't expect this. Actually, my plan was to start at the Rocky Mountains, the Canadian border-ish, and move my way south until I found something I like. I didn't get very far. And I had a friend who had a lease on a place in Heron, Montana, and he was leaving to go back to Michigan and said I could live out his lease on that property. And so that's what I did, and I was there for nine years. And in those nine years, wasn't too far into the nine years I lived there with an outhouse, no running water, and a, and a shack. Gary showed up one day at my home through the recommendation of a mutual friend who said I might be able to help him fix his Toyota Jeep. Toyota Land Cruiser. The Toyota Land Cruiser he'd had. It had been missing. No matter how much money he poured into that engine, it couldn't get rid of a miss. And they asked me to take a look at it. And by sheer luck, through actually, not sheer luck, my grandfather, who was a mechanic in Detroit, I, I was a third generation mechanic, said, always check the coil wire. And I checked the coil wire, it was all corroded. And it was $3 fix, I think. <laughs> actually, actually, I had a coil wire there that I gave you. That's right. Right. Out of that. Yep. Uh, and that's how I met Gary. We've been friends ever since. Yeah, all right. <laughs> if you've just joined us, the voices you hear are of Steve McCoy and Gary Steele. And they're two friends. They've known each other for quite a long time. Done a lot of adventures in Montana. And I first encountered Steve when we were down in Baja. We drove from Montana down to Baja. And We've got a beautiful little spider crawling up the microphone right now. We're recording outside in Montana, fly fishing today, sitting in the shade of Gary's ambulance that he's converted into a home. Steve, could you maybe introduce, you know, your friend Gary here a little bit and some of 
the adventures you guys have had together, and then I'd love to hear what Gary has to ask you about your early days okay. in Montana. Well, as I said before, this is my friend Gary. I met him, what, 1980-ish? Yeah. In northwest Montana through a fluke of a friend of a friend. We've been friends ever since we first met. I have done a lot of things since I moved to Montana that I thought I would never do. I'm not by nature that adventurous of a person, but Gary's made up for that. Uh, most of the wonderful things I've experienced in Montana, a huge majority of them, and throughout the West, including Baja, have been because Gary talked me into doing it. <laughs> 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 including one death-defying trip. May, may I talk about Yellowstone Lake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. This is not like the only thing. This is like a typical example of a Gary trip that he gets me to go on. So he invites me to go sea kayaking on Yellowstone Lake with he and a bunch of other very experienced sea kayakers. I have never been in one. can't remember. I think it was June-ish, something like that, June-ish, July-ish, which has no bearing on Yellowstone because it could still snow then, but... In fact, it will. He asked me to go, and I'll never forget, we went to the West Thumb area, and we're there, and I'm looking at the lake and the white caps and the wind and the high, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this, this, I don't, uh, I, I think I might be in over my head here. And, and I keep telling my concerns to Gary and my other friends who keep basically giving me a look like, don't do this. Just shut the hell up and, and prepare, all right? And then the rangers show up. And there, then a boat, and I'm talking double-decker, big park service boat shows up, and they hail us with the horns and everything, and they're saying, we do not recommend you go out on that lake. Please abandon ship. And I'm, yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Okay. No, no, we're still going. So we launch, and I'm just, okay, I hope I make, you know, I hope I live to tell the tales. So within, I would say, 15 minutes, my fear of death and the dread that goes along with it turned into elation like has been rarely repeated in my life. I found myself surfing the white caps in a sea kayak learning to drive. When the ride would end, I just had to paddle, drive the nose of that sea kayak into the wave, climb back up on it, and get on the next one. The wind was behind us, and we were going like hell. And Gary and I and another guy... Charlie. Charlie. I'll never forget. We were singing Telegraph Road by Mark Knopfler. At the top of our lungs to each other. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, God, was that fun. And so that's just a typical example of a trip with Gary. <laughs> I knew Steve was capable of learning quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you had to. <laughs> There's no choice about it. Yeah, yeah. Now, Gary, I just was wondering if you could tell the radio listeners a little bit about Steve McCoy and some of the adventures you've had together and why he's a close friend of yours. Well, we've been hunting and fishing and... Adventuring. Uh, adventuring and on motorcycle adventures and sea kayaking adventures and adventures of 
relationships in life, which for me, there was some major struggles along the way. And But I could always go to my buddy Steve and say, hey, Steve, man, I'm all messed up. Can we talk about it? And yeah, he was he was there to talk with me through some really hard times and times that you'd like to forget, but yeah. you can't. Yeah, Steve was there for me many, many times. Through our respect for each other, uh, we just went on some grand adventures. Yep. We used to uh, guide backpacking trips together in uh, Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons. And May I interject? You talked me into being a guide, backpacking guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you had it in you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then it turned out you was a guide a lot longer than I yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw a lot more wilderness than in my lifetime. And anyway, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh no, no. We we always interrupt each other. <laughs> so how does conservation play a role here? Because you both have a shared passion for preserving the West and taking care of these places that you feel so passionately yeah, about. Yeah. It wasn't too long after Gary and I met and got to know each other and kind of gelled, and, and we were living in two different places in Montana, and so we weren't on a daily basis. We get together on a regular basis, but it wasn't too long after we knew each other. Earth First was hanging around, and Dave Foreman and Howie Woke were taking an Earth First tour around the Northwest, and what they had to talk about and their, the ethos that they projected and just made sense to me. I had no problem with what they were saying and come to find out Gary didn't have a problem with it either. So we kind of got into the Earth First movement because it was wilderness oriented. And even even though, you know, 70s seemed like a long time ago and blah, 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 it's still a big issue in Montana today. And so that whole concern about wilderness and, and wild places and wild animals and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, but have always interested me. You know what? That's why I came here and uh, stumbled on this wonderful part of the planet. Never regretted it. How do you see it, Gary? We are really lucky to live where we live because we do have a lot of, we're surrounded by a lot of wildlands. But when you look around, you see wildlands across this country is disappearing at a rapid rate. It's all getting developed or paved or parking lotted or logged or mined. Or, and the wild places are just going away. And that's the passion of my life is those wild places mm-hmm. and keeping them wild. And so when we heard about Earth First, and, and that's what they were all about, Wow, so we can we can do something to protect these wild places that we love in Montana. And so that's kind of where we got involved in to protecting the Montana's wildlands. And we did it different. Earth First was kind of a big movement, kind of nationwide, but the West Coast was really big, and they did things in their way, the West Coast way. And, and uh, we, we did things entirely different in Montana Earth First. And... Uh, Rednecks for wilderness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of always considered myself a, a gun-toting redneck hugger of bunnies and trees. And 
Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we made some differences. We occupied Senator Melcher's office back in the very early 80s. To defeat a wilderness legislation at the federal level that was totally a crime against the natural world. Excuse me. Go ahead, yeah, you're Gary. exactly right. Yeah, and they were trying to slide it under the table, keep it low profile. Even the Montana Wilderness Association signed off on it because it protected three-quarters of a million acres as wilderness, but it basically released over six million acres for development. And we go, no, 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 yeah, this no, won't no. Fly. This, this ain't, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and, but they were trying to keep it low-key, so we decided to make it uh, a household word in Montana, and we did that as soon as we walked in the senator's office, and we go, we would like to talk to Senator Melcher about this upcoming wilderness bill, and the receptionist said, uh, well, he's not here right now. And we go, well, okay, well, we'll wait. <laughs> and she goes, oh, you don't understand. He's out of town. And I go, oh, no, you don't understand. We'll wait. This office back here with the big desk with the flags on each side of it, this looks like it'll be a perfect place for us to wait. There was eight of us. We all walked back there and said, we'll wait right here. And things started happening big time. We was there for three days. We was on the front page of basically every major newspaper in the country because of what we did. And no longer was that bill being able to be hidden. It went bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, we accomplished exactly what we wanted to. Even when President Clinton left office, he reserved all those lands that we were talking about that should be protected. That's what he did. And we were, when we were saying that, we were extreme, you know, because we wanted Terrorists. it all protected, right. which doesn't seem extreme to me because there ain't very much left. Then that went on to other, other issues. Hell, that was 40 years ago or so. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I guess you're right. It was. <laughs> A lot's <laughs> happened since then. Yeah. <laughs> the voices you're hearing are Gary Steele and Steve McCoy, and we are sitting on the edge of the river recording an episode of The Trail Less Traveled. And when we come back, we're going to learn more about the prairies of the West and the buffalo and how they are the constant gardeners. But now it's time for a song. Steve, can you share a song with us that reminds you of your early childhood? Oh, my goodness. My early childhood. A song. Oh, wow. This is going to sound weird. I hate musicals. But my favorite, one of my favorite all-time movies is Wizard of Oz so one of my songs I loved singing as a kid and actually sang it through graduate school a lot for my classmates and if I only had a brain (laughs) (laughs) I could while away the hours contemplating flowers something anyway no I'm not really good at remembering lyrics but everybody knows that song fill in the gap Today, the trail has traveled is being recorded on the edge of the river here in Montana. We're fly fishing today. There's some rainbows out there and some brown trout. There's a little plane flying overhead and probably will rise up some Canada geese. It's a beautiful afternoon and we're sitting in the shade with Gary Steele and Steve McCoy. They've known each other for a long time, for 40 years, and they've both worked together to do 
some conservation out in the West and both passionate about protecting these wild places. I'm talking with Steve right now about the American Prairie Reserve and the prairie itself and his passion for restoring the buffalo herds back on the prairie and many other creatures. But I'd like to talk to you now, Steve, about the prairies of the West, particularly the Great American Prairie Reserve and some of the animals that live there, particularly the buffalo. I know this will be probably be heard in Montana, so let me tell the fellow Montanans that's the first 14 years I lived in this state was in western Montana. As far as I was concerned, central and eastern Montana were to be avoided or passed through as quickly as possible. That attitude I had about this part of the world, this part of the state, was that I didn't want anything to do with it. 89, I was uh, graduated from University of Montana Graduate School, and I was offered a job in Wolf Point, Montana. And God knows I didn't want to be there, but the money they offered me was more than I could get anywhere else, and I needed it. I was dirt poor out of graduate school. So I moved to Wolf Point thinking, okay, how long is it going to be before I can get back to the western part of the state? Worked and lived in Wolf Point in Poplar, Montana, which at the time, maybe it still does, was not well known for its being a white guy and living there, to be honest with you. A lot of negatives about moving to that part of the state. I spent five years living there, still loved the area. It was the most welcoming community I'd ever lived in. And that's what started to change. My attitude started to change. I could tell you many stories about interacting with Native Americans in that part of the world and their attitudes towards the mountainous west and the prairies of the east. And I listened to them, and they started to change my attitude. Then I started exploring the wild parts of that that area and found out that central and eastern Montana has probably some of the wildest country there is. And then I started finding out about what it used to be. And the community I lived in, it was just natural to talk about those topics. I didn't get a lot of, oh my God, you know, buffalo, yuck, oh, grizzly bears, terrible, kill them all, wolves, oh my God. And with the native community, it was a given that these, these were positive things to discuss and, and or have around. And I thought about, well, they're gone, but geez, maybe they could come back. After five years spent in that community, I moved to Lewistown, Montana, and still in central Montana, a nice mix of mountainous countries. Don't move there, by the way, you you wouldn't like it. Um, Nice mix of mountains and prairie, and I grew in love with the prairie even more, and I started hearing about this and started to study the prairie and hunt on the prairie. The Missouri breaks are something to behold and be in a very wild country. And it just naturally progressed from thinking about preserving grizzlies in western Montana when I lived there to, wow, we got to have some buffalo around here. This is, this is what's missing. I could go on and on about the whole ecological reasons and my aesthetics and my ethics and all of that, but in the day and age we live in with uh, global warming and climate change, one of the things about the prairie is an acre of prairie, natural prairie, a growing prairie, restored prairie, will absorb as much carbon, way more carbon than a similar acre of woodlands will. To me, one of the keys of restoring not only the prairies, but the, the 
conditions uh, to better the world we live in has to do with the grasslands around the world, not only in North America, but in Eurasia, Africa. They are a great carbon sink, and they need to be restored, not only for their own sake and, and for the buffalo's sake, but we need to let it go back to what it was, absorb all that carbon, make the buffalo and the rest of us happy. The Assiniboine elders told me at a Sundance gathering, we'll know that the earth is healing when the buffalo come back. Interestingly enough, the Assiniboine foundation level stories is that the buffalo all over North America came out of a hole in the Larb Hills of north central Montana, hole in the ground from which they exited. Who knows, that could be true. I don't know. Wasn't there. So, and if you haven't spent time in true prairie country and just stopped, got out, listened, walked around, the calm and peaceful feeling, sound like a 1960s song, uh, will overwhelm you. And the more you do it, the more you get it. It's not an easy place to bond with, but you have to be intimate with it before it'll happen for you. So... Gary, would you like to say anything about all of that? I seem to be wandering. It can be tough country out there. The blizzards are extreme. The wind is tough. When it rains, you'd better be prepared. I remember several times when we was struggling through mud or gumbo and or freezing our ass off or trying to find the tent in a blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The shame of, of some of it is is that a lot of the prairie doesn't exist in central and eastern Montana because it's been plowed for wheat. It's just, a, to me, a not good use of the land. It's, that's my opinion. We don't need that wheat. It would be much better to be prairie. The prairie ecosystems are so involved, there's, there's so much going on with a, a natural system, it's hard to describe what it would be like, especially when you haven't experienced a true wild free-roaming buffalo on it. But there are places like the American Prairie Reserve where you can go and observe some of that going on with the restoration. But the plains, Oftentimes people travel through it at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour and go, you know, oh my God, this is so flat and, and featureless and it's ugly and who would want to be here? Why? But that's where they build the highways because they're flat and featureless. Do not believe that that's the way it is to either side of that highway. It's a very wild country that needs to be explored by anybody who loves wildness. But the ecological factors have to do with, again, for me, it starts with restoring the natural plant life, which will restore all of the animals, flora and fauna, and birds, too. Oftentimes, you don't think of uh, the bird life on the Great Plains that existed here. So you've got the megafauna, you've got the aviary, you've got the plant life. It's just one of the great mixes that we have inadvertently destroyed. I think in America, 2% of the natural prairie is left. Yeah. All right. That's a lot of land, don't get me wrong. But one of the best examples of, of that is the Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge in central Montana. 1.2 million acres of wildlife refuge that 
at one point we were, uh, myself and my wife and uh, another person were invited to see if the 1.2 acres would qualify for wilderness designation. So using their U.S. National Fish and Wildlife Service database, we concluded that 1.1 million acres would qualify as wilderness. Check it out if you want to see a prairie ecosystem somewhat intact, again, without buffalo. So anyway, the restoration of the planet would be greatly enhanced by doing that. Our wildlife in north-central Montana would be enhanced. In fact, it's been nicknamed the American Serengeti. You've got to consider that. We could restore the American Serengeti. A, A good chunk of it, not all of it, but there's a possibility of doing that, and that's the American Prairie Reserve's goal, is to restore as much of it as possible to its natural condition and using the constant gardeners called bison to basically let it happen. They'll take care of it. When you have bison, you have all the other wildlife and plant life that goes with the bison. You'll have an abundance of bird life, prairie dog, foxes, elk, elk, antelope. They all go together. If it will work for the bison, it works for all of the wildlife involved. They're currently speaking in central Montana. The corridor of the Missouri River has been funneling or is funneling in now animals. Grizzlies are showing up. Moose. A lot of people don't think of moose on the Missouri River in eastern Montana. Moose, elk. Coming down from Canada down the Frenchman's Creek and the Canadian National Grasslands up there. You know, one of the visions people have about central Montana and what I'm talking about is that in the same way that Glacier National Park is a international peace park encompassing lands in Canada and the United States, one of the visions is, is to make that happen in America and Canada for the Great Plains. So the land we're talking about that the APR is restoring to its natural state goes up into Canada. They have a Canadian National Grasslands National Park. Why don't we? You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, and the voices you're hearing are of Steve McCoy, and we're talking about the restoration of the Great American Prairie, and Steve's sitting here next to his friend Gary. They've known each other for 40 years. They've both done a lot to protect these wild places that they love so much. I'd like to make now that connection between, you know, being a hunter and an angler, and the hunters and anglers of the United States were the original conservationists. So let's talk a little bit more about that connection. And these bison that you love so much and you want to bring back, they have a lot of other benefits as well if you decide you want to maybe Mm -hmm. nourish yourself with their meat. Right. Well... For those of you who haven't been around bison very much, what an animal. There's a lot of romantic ideas about buffalo, and, and there should be their iconic animal. But I have to say, let, let me give you an example of something that happened to me. I went and camped out on the American Prairie Reserve campground in the Missouri Breaks, and you can camp in a designated area there and be encircled by wild free-roaming buffalo. And uh, I was watching them move through their grazing area a long ways off and noticed there was something 
around the herd of buffalo and I couldn't make out what was going on. They kind of like came into view and went out of view, flashes of fur against their dark background. And um, what I realized finally is that these were packs of coyotes that were following the herd and wherever the herd went, they stirred up the grasshoppers and the, the little vermin and they moved off to each side. So the buffalo obviously, as Gary said, encourage other wildlife to cohabitate with them on, on the Great Prairie. With the Native American people that I have known, they're a spirit animal. The practical side is they produce incredibly tasty meat of very low fat content. What I have understood is that, and I love beef, don't get me wrong, I love my T-bone steak, but the flavor of beef comes from the fat content. The flavor of buffalo is without the fat content. So there's that. And they just provide, in the legacy of the West, a lot of benefits. But, you know, we moved on. I would love to say I, someday before I die, would get to hunt free-roaming buffalo. I think that's a heritage. I think that's part of our American heritage is to have an area that you could go to and have that opportunity. That to me is freedom, where you're, you're free to harvest your own food and be part of that. But that's not required. I hope they could do it without me if that's what needs to be done. So the benefits of surrounding community, I mean, right now is the APR very well known? No, and yet, let me say this. I'm just grateful for them doing it. They're not the only ones, and I'm not trying to build them up to be the only and best. They're just doing it, and good for them. Everybody needs to become involved, either through them or through other agencies. The best, however you can help, do it is, is fine. But they are doing it. They're out there, and they're helping to make this a reality. The history of how they went away is, is a tragedy. Of course, a very sad tale. Of course, you know, everybody's heard the stories about there's no end of them, they're limitless, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, we know that's not true. Overhunting, overutilization, they were seen as a pest to be gotten rid of in the same way sometimes prairie dogs, wolves, grizzlies, all the wild things are, as people used to say to me, friends who, who are in the ranching community, you know, by getting rid of the wildness, they're doing God's work. And I understand where they're coming from, but now we need to think differently and, and act differently towards that. Sending buffalo to market and their hides to market didn't start with the incursion of white people, East Coast white people. Actually, the trading system on the Great Plains was um, greatly facilitated through both the Hudson Bay Company, American fur trappers, arms dealers, way before Lewis and Clark even. And so the exploitation of the buffalo, because the buffalo were on the Great Plains and they weren't able to be harvested in any profound numbers until the advent of the horse. The horse allowed Native Americans to start more efficiently harvesting them and treating their hides and meat. That was sustainable, but then the settler incursions came in and they used them for food sources, then the hide hunters, then the bone collectors, and then Railroad. railroads. Just kept whittling down, whittling down, whittling down. And you know, 
unfortunately, when we found it, quote, necessary to pacify the tribes, what's the best way to deal with that is to cut off their food source and get rid of them. And so that's what happened until uh, just a handful were left, Yellowstone Park and some other places in South Dakota. Restoration of buffalo is problematic in some ways because, like, the APR will only restore genetically pure buffalo and because buffalo in the past have been interbred somewhat with beef so they have got pure strains but there while there are profoundly more buffalo today than there were let's say 80 90 100 years ago they're still in very few numbers and you know it's the national mammal from what i understand and so they're being restored in small, 100 here, 100 there, places in not only Montana, North and South Dakota. The tribes are taking on herds. So the area around, if you think about it this way, perhaps is a better way to put it. American Prairie Reserve is working on their properties generally from the Charles M. Russell National Wildlife Refuge north to the Canadian border. To the west of the CMR, you have the Fort Belknap tribes reservation they have buffalo to the east and north of the cmr you have the fort peck tribes they have buffalo herds just to the north of the canadian borders and the canadian national grasslands national park they have buffalo they're surrounded by buffalo and seems like a good place to uh, restore buffalo I'm just advocating for that. I think we would all love to have an area like that to leave as a legacy for our children and generations. APR right now currently is mainly hosting, for some reason I haven't quite figured out, but I understand it's not that unusual. Germans and Scandinavians are flocking there. They seem to have heard about it and make it a destination. They're talking about now Montana has three major destinations, Glacier Park, Yellowstone Park, and the American Prairie Reserve. That's how they're being slowly restored. That's the voice of Steve McCoy. He moved to Montana in 1976 because of fly fishing, and a lot of his passions include the preservation of the American prairies, particularly bringing the buffalo back. Steve, it's now time for a song. Is there a song that reminds you of the vast rolling prairies that you love and fight to protect? Gary used to play this one. Oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam and the the deer and the antelope play where seldom is heard an discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. That's... That's a good song. The trail has traveled today has been recorded on the edge of a beautiful river. We're out here fly fishing, doing an overnight camping trip, and I'm honored to be joined by some great friends. been speaking with Steve McCoy, and his friend Gary has been here too. Gary's a good friend of mine. You've probably heard his voice a lot on the trail has traveled. But uh, Gary Steele and Steve McCoy have known each other for 40 years. If you missed the entire segment of the bulk of the interview, I recommend you check it out on the podcast. We've been talking about the Great American Prairie Reserve and bringing the buffalo back. But Steve, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on the Trail Less Traveled. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. 
Steve, let's end your show with three bits of advice. Yeah, um, yeah I should be giving advice, oi. First advice is for those of you who love Montana, don't love just one part of Montana. Love it all, get to know it all, spend as much time as you can exploring as much of it as possible, getting to know the land and the people. I've lived from one end to the other and I've never regretted anywhere I've been so far and lived. So that would be my first suggestion. Well, you know, and to do that, don't do it all at once. My wife and I just yearly say we look at a map of Montana, road map, and say, okay, which improved gravel road have we not been down in this state? And that includes western, eastern, central, whatever. It's getting harder and harder. It's taken many years to do that, and I encourage everyone to do it. It's it's like any love affair. If you want to be have intimacy, you got to get, get to know all parts of it. And uh, take your time. You'll never regret it. Places like Gingomar and Akalaka and the Yak and Plentywood, Wolf Point even. Yeah. Sweetgrass Hills. You should go to the Sweetgrass Hills. Yeah. You won't regret it at all. Okay? You can do your second bit of advice. Second bit of advice. Okay. This is kind of obvious. But, yeah, it's fun to travel around Montana, get to know all of it. But to me, the best way to know it is to fish its rivers and hunt its game. Now, when I say hunt, I typically make a dividing line between hunting and the kill. The hunt does not necessarily mean to kill, but hunting may end with a kill. But hunt it with the eye of a hunter fish it with the eye of a fisherman and the best way I can put it is helps to maintain one's sanity (laughs) (laughs) these are insane times a profound songwriter musician actor activist named John Trudell said it best America is quote Experiencing a psychosis so widespread is to be assumed normal. You need sanity, and you will find it by adventuring in Montana. Yep. Yep. Third, find good partners. That makes all the difference. I'm not a gregarious person. I have a few friends, but... They stuck with me and I stuck with them. And find some good friends who you can adventure with and do things with and stick with them. It's worth your time. That's all, folks. (laughs) That was great. Steve, what song would you like to end your show with? Oh, geez, songs again. I don't have to sing it again, do it? I'll go back to Telegraph Road. I love Telegraph Road because it talks about, well, you know, what the wilderness was like and how welcoming it was and how it got turned into a a race between the stoplights. I'll never forget singing that song at the top of our lugs as we tried to hear each other over the howling wind and the waves on Yellowstone Lake as we surfed the whitecaps. (laughs) (laughs) I was so grateful to know those other two guys knew that song. We could... We could sing along.
Hello there, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and I want to take a very short break to thank our sponsor, New West Knifeworks. When you love the tools you use, everyday chores become a joy. A finely crafted knife is an extension of the hand that welds it. That's the motivating idea behind New West Knifeworks founder, Corey Milligan. Milligan moved to Jackson Hole to pursue the good life in his early 20s. To earn a living while enjoying the outdoors, he worked as a line cook in local restaurants. His interest in cutlery came from the desire to make a knife that would better express his love of cooking. New West Knife Works was born out of that passion, a passion which continues to keep the company on the cutting edge. All of New West Knife Works culinary, hunting, and recreational knives are made in the Tetons with the finest American steel and tested by the professional chefs, guides, anglers, and hunters of Jackson Hole. From the New York Times and Wall Street Journal to Bon Appetit and Forbes, top tastemakers appreciate cutlery that is as beautiful as it is useful. Visit newwestknifeworks.com. This episode of The Trail Less Traveled is sponsored by the Missoula-based and locally grown Mountain Meadow CBD. Their hemp is grown organically and all of their products are organic as well. Mountain Meadow utilizes a living soil technique that helps ensure the symbiotic relationship between the plants, the soil, and the insects. CBD has many therapeutic benefits, including, but not limited to, anxiety, joint pain, gut health, deeper sleep, depression, and as an immune system booster. Mountain Meadow CBD is a family-owned farm with very reasonable prices due to the fact that there are no middlemen between you and your product. They offer CBD tinctures in different strengths, pain solve, lip balm, vapes, and pre-rolls. You can find out more by visiting mountainmeadowcbd.com or on Instagram at mountainmeadowcbd. Namaste, Missoula, and my friends around the world. You've been listening to The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series. Listen every Sunday night at 6 Mountain Time. Stream it live online at trail1033.com. If you missed the show, check out the podcast, which is available on all platforms. The official website is worth a peek, traillesstraveled.net. I'd like to thank my friends Steve McCoy and Gary Steele for joining me on a beautiful episode of The Trail Less Traveled, episode 454, recorded on the edge of the river here in Montana. Glad to be back in the community full-time, if you didn't know. So expect more of these beautiful stories from Montana, inspiring you to get out and explore in your backyard definitely fortunate to live in this part of the world that's it for this week my friends in missoula and around the world but until next week get outside do something for mother earth and shred the gnar because as you know the gnar does not shred itself <laughs>